Welcome to episode 142 of The Startup Show. Today we are talking to the co-founder and investor, Lars, and we talk about how he got to meet the royal family, how he wrote his book, Entrepreneur, and how he invests with Nordic Eyes. Make sure to stay tuned. Welcome, everybody, to episode 142 of The Startup Show. Today, we are here in Zug, in the Crypto Valley, and I'm very excited to talk to an investor, a venture capitalist, and author. Lars, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Lars, it's such a pleasure to have you. As I saw when I did my research about you, uh, you have a very, very broad uh, background from author, speaker, but also uh, venture capitalist. Um, maybe let's start, give us a short introduction about yourself. I am an engineer and economist. I worked in uh, at the beginning of my career in marketing. Then I went into finance, became a chief corporate uh, dealer for a big company. Then I did investment banking, hedge fund management, and then I started a number of uh, tech companies, uh, satellite communications, many different things. And now I'm not that young anymore. And then I have started, co-founded two years ago, a venture capital fund, which is the most fun thing I've ever done. <laughs> okay, before we get into this, I have a few interesting points about yourself. Um, you have close connections to some royal families. Can you explain to us how that happened and how did that became fruitful uh, relationships. Uh, are you talking about the British or the Danish? Yeah, both of them. <laughs> okay, so, uh, so now I don't know which stories you have heard, but I can tell you a story that I've never told anybody. Wow, uh, okay, on, good. On, you heard it first here. <laughs> uh, but that was the right British family. Uh, Prince Andrew moved into a chalet in Switzerland. We had a chalet close by. Then uh, my wife, she thought it would be a good idea to invite them, uh, some other friends, for dinner. And then she, she said, we had a mutual friend, and they said, ah, you, you know, um, the one whose wife is Sarah, what is his name? We should ask, ask him for dinner. The guy said, I can take care of that because I'm up with them tonight. And then he came back and said, yeah, they would like to come. And what the, the one she meant was the one who was in charge of marketing for Formula One. Okay. Uh, but the one he thought she meant was <laughs> Prince Andrew. It was all arranged, and then suddenly there was a security guy on our door who said, yeah, the prince is coming here tonight. Yeah, so which prince is coming here? <laughs> so by mistake, we had invited Prince Andrew and his whole family and some of their friends for dinner. So uh, that was a big uh, surprise. It turned out that it was really, really cozy, and they stayed until 3 o'clock in the morning and so on. One of the funny things that I heard about you is that you refer to Verbier as Little Scandinavia. Now, as I would say, the first person on my show from the Nordics, uh, Scandinavia era, maybe you can explain to us what, what you mean by this. Verbier was partly discovered by Swedish people. There was a big group of Swedish uh, ski entrepreneurs who were among the first movers back in the you know, 70s and 80s. And today, the audience in Verbier is it's very much Swiss, some Italian, a lot of the uh, city of London who, who can fly in quickly in the long weekends, and then Scandinavians. I come a lot in Verbier, so my co-founder of our venture capital fund, Peter, and what happens is that almost everybody we want to meet from Scandinavia, they turn up in Verbier during the season. Some of them have places there, many of them they just come several times. So we actually do a lot of ski meetings and get a lot of, a lot of business meetings, a lot of, get a lot of ideas in that way. We're outside of the business meetings. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you don't yeah, have meeting rooms, yeah, you do it on the yeah. slopes. 
Very cool. Okay, uh, you, you're also an author. You wrote about, like, if I saw correctly, 15 books. Yeah. Is this correct? Uh, this is your latest one. While I know that you're also working in... Can in, I do this? Yes, <laughs> you can do that. Uh, while I know that you also work in other, uh, on other books already now. Um, but give us um, the latest one, a, a short summary on, on why you wrote this and, and what's it about. I wrote this book because when I wanted to start a venture capital fund, I wanted to not only get clear in my mind about all the things I've learned about starting companies and investing in startups, but I also wanted to do a complete literature review to find out if there was anything I didn't know. So it was uh, sort of my preparation to start a venture capital fund. What the book is, is that it's a handbook. It's not a, it's not a book that you'll necessarily enjoy reading from A to Z in one go. But it has different chapters where that are very, very brief and to the point about anything from mistakes you can make to how to raise money and how to sell and how to deal with journalists, etc. So um, a hands-on book, brief. Yeah. brief even, even though it's, it's not that small, but every, <laughs> every chapter is very, very condensed about a, a specific subject. Okay. By the way, it took us four months to convince Wiley that it should have colors inside. But we did. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about um, you, how you became a venture capitalist. I mean, you said like you did a lot of things. What was this moment when you said like, okay, like I have to try this VC game? I was tricked into it, really. I met Peter Vane, my co-founder, in Verbier around year 2000, because he had, we both had a chalet in Verbier, and so we started meeting and parties and skiing and so on. And then we liked each other and started going sailing together in the summers. Mm -hmm. And then it was during one of these sailing trips, we started talking about that I'm always investing and he's always investing. But I never invested in other people's startups because I feel that you should not do it unless you have a real good deal flow. So you can kind of calibrate what is good, what is not good. And also when you invest, you have to go into the board and there's a lot of work you need to do in order to be professional. So either you do it professionally or you don't do it at all. So mm -hmm. I was investing more uh, you know, macro financial investments and Peter was more in actually investing directly in startups. He said, shouldn't we do this together? And then we talked about making a little family office. Him, I, a couple of our friends, uh, uh, former entrepreneurs make a family office and do it together. And then from there on, I think it was Peter mainly made me drift into think that the best thing would be to make a really professional setup. But that actually, it corresponds with my mindset because I, I, I actually, I'm quite insecure. I don't want to do anything if, unless I really feel that I understand it. That's why I you know, always write a book about any subject I have to deal with. But we got to the point where we said, okay, so if we can make a venture capital fund, which has all the features that a fund has, but also is kind of a category changer, then it would be interesting. Mm -hmm. So the fund should be a startup project in itself mm -hmm. and an innovative startup project. So the main idea we had was to be super founder friendly. So to help the founders run their business. And I had this so much on my mind because I had tried to raise money from different companies. Some of them were pain in the neck. <laughs> uh, most of them were quite nice. I had one particular experience that was fantastic. And that was Intel, who invested in a company I had co-founded. And after they invested, they said, we'll allocate a guy to you, Lars. He will help you set up meetings for you and so on. And here's a list of all the exhibitions and trade fairs Intel are on in the entire world. Just Tell us which ones we, you want to be on, then you can be on our booth. Something that we couldn't do because we didn't have the time and resources for that. Mm -hmm. So we could just come and be on their booth. 
They said, you want to set up meetings? We can call and set up meetings for you. You think when you're a small startup, Intel sets up <laughs> meetings for you is helpful. At one point they said, Lars, I don't think people can understand your technology. You should write a book. And I said, I don't have time to write a book. And they said, we'll give you our head of development for Europe and he will write the book with you. And uh, in that way, they helped me so much or us, the company so much. So we wanted to make a venture capital fund that mm -hmm. really, really helps the companies uh, they invest in. Mm -hmm. This is what we've done. So before we go more into like what you specifically do, because there's a few interesting points about the UVC, um, what kinds of companies are you looking for? We mainly divide, define it by the stage. So we like early growth. We like to see that there's a product market fit, that mm -hmm. there are some clients we can go out and interview with the clients really like the product. Apart from that, sector-wise, it's uh, we call it tech and lifestyle. We don't do biotech, but we do any other technology. Not stuff that's very capital intensive. Um, so we definitely prefer software from, say, nuclear PowerPoint plants or something. So early growth, tech and lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, lifestyle is a bit unusual. Many funds don't do that. But uh, we, for instance, invested in Tattoo, which is a website for people who want a tattoo. That's definitely lifestyle. Mm -hmm. They have 40 million uh, unique visitors on their website. It's one of the most downloaded apps on, uh, on the iPhone app store, etc. So I want to talk about two specific things that I felt makes your VC very unique. Number one is uh, the youth board uh, that you have, and the other one is like you have like a selling crew, something like this. I don't know. I don't remember the exact name. A sales accelerator. S sales yeah. accelerator. Right. I was looking for the name online. But I couldn't find. It. Explain to my audience what that exactly is. What is what is the youth board and what is the selling accelerator? Okay. So the the youth board is uh, advisory board that we have. Uh, that consists of uh, young people, they're 18 to 21 years old typically, who have absolutely outstanding background. So elite students, for instance, one of our Danish youth board members, the highest grade you can have in high school in Denmark is 12. And he had 31 exams during high school and he got 12 every single time. The last time, because he has broken the Danish record, the last time Danish national television was filming when he came out and, and you know, got <laughs> his last exam. Well, he, he said he was nervous when they were there. Uh, and his best friend who uh, got 28 times 12 and founded two companies in high school. Very open to the world. For instance, these two guys are now traveling around the world. One of them has been in 60 countries. Uh, some of them are very interested in politics because they're interested in society as a whole and technology as a whole and so on. And the reason uh, that we did this was some experiences I've had with sometimes with my children, they say, Dad, you shouldn't have done that and I could have told you that. So, for instance, once I invest, invested in a software company called Funcom because I, was, I thought that the new game would be an absolutely smashing hit and it wasn't. And then my children said, ah, we could have told you. I, we could have told you that. What I mean is that, that when you are young, you see the world in a different way. And of course, when you're young and super gifted, you can bring something to the table. But like, let's say, what is the practicality? You get an interesting startup, you look we, at it, and then you send it over to your WhatsApp group, or how does it work? Yeah, we don't send them all of them, but, but in some of the startups, we want to hear their opinion. For instance, we invested in Bellabeat, which is a smart jewelry that measures your pulse and sleep patterns and so on. We were unsure whether this was the company we should choose in that sector or, or, or there was a problem. So mm -hmm. they came, each of them wrote an individual report, two to five pages, what they thought about the market and that company. 
was super useful. And actually, it confirmed our thesis on investing in us. It's a great investment for us. The other thing is I invite them out. Uh, this is my task, my <laughs> horrible task in the company is to invite them out sailing in the summer, skiing in the winter, uh, going sort of car trips, uh, road trips in the Alps and so on, where we just talk about what's going on in the world and, and so on. Some of them, by the way, have started, like, like you do, a blog in Denmark where they interview talented people. One of them recently sent us a fantastic case in Sweden that he knew through his friends. So we have another advisory board, which is more senior entrepreneurs, but yeah. the combination of that and the youth board and the investor board, which is senior finance people, is uh, you know our extended organization. Right. Now let's go to the other side, the selling accelerator. Um, what, what were your thoughts there? Yeah, so whereas the youth board was my idea, the sales accelerator was really Peter's. It was a situation where we had invested in an American company called WebLife. Uh, it's a funny story, by the way, because WebLife, they had only seven employees and no office. So, so you might ask, is that early growth? Actually, it was because they, they did cybersecurity software and they had IBM Engine and Sony as clients. So we thought, how can you have those clients when you're seven people who have no office? Your software must be fantastic. So we interviewed the clients and found out that they really liked the software, we invested. And the problem was with seven people that didn't have any capacity at all to find clients outside of California where they were. Mm -hmm. And then Peter said, oh, I've got, I know some sales people in England that I used to work with, uh, freelancers, they have their own company, they take in different products. So we asked if they would sell WebLife and they said yes, they would like to do that and it was a great success. And then we thought, hmm, we have a winner here because we need to have a sales company so we can always offer to the portfolio companies we invest in that we will help them selling. A bit like what I said with Intel, we want to go in and really take a burden off their daily life and, yes. and do something for them. And sale, sales is normally the biggest pain. Well, that yeah. the money comes yeah. in. Yeah, so, so, <laughs> so we bought the majority of this sales company now. It's called and renamed Nordic Ice Sales Accelerator, NISA. We want to build it out internationally. And the next thing we plan to do, but are not doing yet, is to also build up a web marketing capability so that we can also help companies with that. Digital marketing and everything yeah, yeah. like that. Very cool. Um, let's talk about like when you look at the startup ecosystem, um, you probably see a lot of different companies. And again, I'm not a big fan of like say numbers in terms of, okay, trends is because we have so many numbers in fintech and so many startups. Mm -hmm. But do you see any kinds of trends where we would say like, okay, like in the next 10, 20 years, those are like the big sectors that will be growing a lot. First, just about how much we see. What, what we see is typical for a venture fund. We have probably had 1,200 cases in two years. Uh, around 700 have gone into our database. Uh, many of them we can, we, you see we, we, can, we see immediately it's not professional, it's not, it's, it's not a growth company and so on. Uh, we have had around 25 where we have done term sheet and started due diligence. 14 we invested in, plus my partners on uh, Dragon's Den, where he just made five more investments, so 19 <laughs> with them. So we, we see all that's coming in, but we also try to understand what will happen in the future. That's why I wrote a book like Super Trends, for instance, about the future. I believe that there are some core technologies that will drive almost everything else. Um, I think the IoT, Internet of Things, and Big Data, and Artificial Intelligence, 
it's a very, very big combination, mm-hmm. and they have to be seen in combination because they really uh, lean against each other. Within biotech, as I said, we didn't, don't invest in biotech, but CRISPR-Cas9 is, is definitely a, a core technology. There's something going on in lifestyle that's very important. So you have the sharing economy, of course, that yes. Uber, Airbnb, and mm-hmm. so on, which I think will continue to evolve very much. Cybersecurity is very, very big. I've read a fantastic book about cybersecurity called uh, The Future Crimes. It's a massive book, super well written, uh, where it just goes through all the kinds of cybercrime there, there is. And what I believe is the most of the, the, the defense will change so that it will become predictive and use AI. There's, for instance, an Israeli company called Deep Instinct that uses AI to detect malicious software before it's done any damage, before it's been identified. So you can do zero-day prevention. That is an area we find very, very interesting. In lifestyle, one thing that nobody talks about, but I personally believe very much in it, <laughs> is that we start uh, using screens everywhere. Like, if you you, you go on Alibaba and you Google OLED screens, these thin plasma screens, they quote prices per square meter. And it's really, really cheap. It's so cheap that you can think, "Mm -hmm, this is like wallpaper, it's cheap. So why not in the future have uh, whole walls that are are made of screens where you're not only showing movies, but you can also just have ambience. So you come in and then you, you want to have one wall slightly purple or it, it looks like there's some lights on it. This table could be a screen. Um, I've been on a restaurant in Switzerland where we actually got some food on iPads. You damp the light and you have iPads and the light is coming up from there and it, it matches the food. So I think this is a technology that, that people don't talk about, but I think could become very, very big. The other thing in lifestyle that I think is very interesting is when you merge different experiences into one. A good example is um, Cirque du Soleil, which is a theater, it's a sport event, it's, it's, it's a light show. It's circus. A, it's a circus, it's a restaurant, it's, it's a concert at, at the same time. And I think that people more and more want to have complete combined experiences. And you will definitely see that in restaurants. I know of, I have some friends actually who are working on developing restaurants with these OLED screens. There are many, many areas that, that I think we're... Can be big. I am big. But like, let's say about like, what do you think, let's say, will the economy have a kind of impact on the startup ecosystem? Big actually. And it's, it's described. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so there's a... In you, if you look at the return on venture capital, there's a very, very big vintage effect. So the whole sector return goes up and down a lot, depending on where they start over the business cycles. So I think it's very important to be aware of that and to consider when will the next recession come. And for instance, when we look at our the, our, the portfolio companies we have in North, Nordic Eye, we calculated that if we merged them into one company, mm-hmm. that would be a very odd company. But if we did, it would be profitable next year. And, and that's important to us because we think there's a high risk of a recession in 2020. And you don't want to go into a recession with the companies that are hugely capital hungry. You cannot stop investing because there comes a recession, but you can kind of plan for it and make sure that you don't need to capitalize in a big way during a recession. Right. 
because that's painful. That's painful. Yes, when the money uh, dries out. Yeah. The other money. thing that I think is very, very interesting is to buy secondaries. This is not something we do now, but might do in the future to buy secondaries in a recession because you can really get you know fifty cents on the dollar uh, shares in a recession. Right. Right. Um, I have a few questions that came directly from my audience. Um, that they want to know about you. And uh, number one is they wanted to know how you think about luck as a factor of determining success in business. It's really funny that I get that question because I made a speech about luck for Boston Consulting Group two weeks ago. Okay. It was about luck and happiness. But funny enough, I've actually read a couple of books that are about the science of luck. It turns out some people are systematically lucky and some people are not lucky. And there are some scientists, they have simply asked, they put ads in uh, adverts in newspapers and said, do you consider yourself particularly lucky or unlucky in life? If so, we would like to have you for an experiment. Yeah. Then they invite them in and one of the experiments, they say, you meet with an interviewer in a restaurant. Then they put candy cameras around and the interviewer comes 20 minutes late and then they study what happens. So it turns out the lucky people will start to talk with the people around, ah, what are you doing, and blah, blah, blah. And the unlucky people, they sit and stare down in the, in the newspaper. So, so luck is something that comes when you are out and about, when yeah. you are very active. Been another experiment where people, you, you give people a newspaper, it has 46 photos, and then they ask people to just go through it and, and then count how many photos there are. On page two, there's a huge advert with this big letters that said, stop counting now, there are 46 photos. So the lucky people, they see that. The unlucky people don't. Because the unlucky people, they, they focus like a laser on the task. The lucky people are more like a radar. So yeah. they are, they, it's just in the mentality they observe more stuff. So if you want to be lucky, you have to know a lot of people, you have to read a lot, you have to move, you have to travel. It's like... You get all these impressions and, and possibilities and certainly you can see that if I combine this with that, with that, and this people and these people and, and that money and that technology, we can have a success. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Who would you consider your most influential person in life? My most influential person? And I actually, um, there are, are many, but, so, but I'll, I'll, I'll pick one which is an unusual choice, I'm sure, is Charles McKay, who wrote a book called Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds in 1841, I think it was, where he goes through how people collectively become completely carried away with stupidity yeah. in the stock market and in, in so many other things. I read that book, luckily, when I was quite young, and I decided to have a bullshit filter, in my mental bullshit filter, on all the time. So whenever people tell me something, I always consider that it's probably wrong, but let's you know, kind of take from that attitude and test whether it's not wrong, but it's probably wrong. I think that saves me from a lot of mistakes. Right. One last question um, for this first part of the interview is, um, when you look at the difference between Switzerland as a startup ecosystem and what you know from the Nordics, um, what do you see some differences, similarities? Huge, huge differences. There's a lot of entrepreneurial talent in the Nordics. Uh, Creandum made a study where they showed that between 2000 and 2015, half of all unicorns in Europe were made in the Nordics or created, founded in the Nordics. And Nordics only has 7% of European GDP, as far as I recall. However, especially in Denmark, people move out very quickly because they have such steep taxes. So in Switzerland, you have a far 
better environment uh, for building up big companies and scaling them. Actually, in, in, in Sweden, they found companies and made them big. Mm-hmm. In Denmark, you found companies and you leave. They always sell very early. There are almost no companies get really big. In Switzerland, they get really big. And that is because the, the environment is so good for it. I think Switzerland is absolutely an amazing place to start companies. How do you achieve and maintain a balanced life? I don't believe in the traditional concept of work-life balance where you have to say there's so much work and so much life. What I believe in is to have a great life and then, and then insert work whenever it's, it fits. Yeah. So a good day for me is I work until 10, then I do fitness, skiing, training, something like that until lunch, then I have lunch, then I have a siesta. <laughs> and then I work until 8 o'clock in the evening and then I have dinner with some good friends and uh, go to sleep around midnight. So in that way, I've had a full work day, some sport and some social experiences. That's, that's my ideal and right. I, I actually do that very often. Okay. And um, how do you keep focused? Well, I have a mentality thing that makes me able to focus very well. I need to clear all all short-term issues out of the way, and then I shut down. Nobody can reach me and for a while, and then I'm totally focused on one task. Get uh, fall a little bit behind with the email and so on, and then I get online again. How do you foster, let's say, a positive company culture within, let's say, the venture capital fund, but also within your portfolio company? It has to be fun. Work, work has to be fun. Since in our company we use we use WhatsApp, I hope that the public never sees what goes on there because it's a mixture of business considerations and jokes and <laughs> and making fun of each other and so on. It's super super informal. That's what happens inside the company. For our portfolio companies, we invite them for holiday. We, we go skiing with them, we go sailing with them. And that's very important. You get another kind of dialogue when you do that. When you have to define success in life, what is success in life for you? It has to be meaningful. I'm not thinking about saving the planet. I'm not, not really that kind of guy. My ambitions are smaller. I want to have my children have success. I want to have that I produce stuff results that are of value to somebody. So I set myself goals that I think I can with some difficulty achieve. If I achieve that, then I'm there. When you look um, as an investor from a startup perspective, what do you recommend them to get an investor on board? Obviously a good pitch deck and... Um, and um, <laughs> read, read, read my book. <laughs> I don't even have to say good. Read my book. It's actually all about that. Okay. Okay, very good. So the last part of of the video is where you give uh, my audience out there some advice. Something that you feel like you wish you knew when you were 20 years old or something that you would say like, listen, this is what you have to consider. Um, in your career? I think the big mistake I have made and many other people have made is that early on in your life you don't know in which direction you should go. And I think the best thing you can do is to take some personality tests. I know it may be an unusual suggestion, but personality tests are pretty good. And so if you go out and do three or four, many of them are free on the net, you get a feel for who you are. And then when you think about who you are, then you should think about, okay, so let's say that you are the person who likes change, who thrive with new stuff and so on, as an example, then think about, okay, so which sectors will provide that? 
I mean, if you really like something dynamic, you should probably uh, not be an accountant. <laughs> you should be something where things are fluid and so on. Or if you found out that you actually like order and something else, then you have to adapt to them. But do personality tests, they are good. <laughs> no, I'm not selling any particular yeah. one, but I, as you can see, I, I, I think it, it's a great investment of time when you're right. young. I did it also, and it yeah. was really helpful, but a long time ago. Mm. Uh, Lars, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you, everybody who tuned in. Have a great day.